Hi, my name is Dalton Graham and you are listening to Uncommon. This podcast is brought to you by Neural Media. Are you an entrepreneur or marketer who needs help making podcasts, video or animation? Perhaps you don't have time to manage a freelancer or the budget to deal with an agency. Well, Neural Media can help you with simple and affordable content creation, saving you time and money by taking away the pain of producing that content. To learn more, head to neural.com slash media. That's N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E.com slash media. Play around with our pricing or request a callback directly. Listeners to the show receive a special discount by using the promo code UNCOMMON. Welcome to another episode of Uncommon, the podcast that helps you build your knowledge, skills, and mindset through interviews with unique individuals. My name's Jordan Michaelides, and I'm your host. In this episode, I have for you Dalton Graham. Dalton is the co-founder of media agency Bullfrog Media and the lifestyle brand The Tailored Man, as well as fiancé to Keep It Cleaners, Laura Henshaw. What I like about Dalton is his penchant for identifying quality in product, unlike the trend of obsessing over high fashion labels, which you often find in the space of fashion. And his creation of a men's social first lifestyle brand showcases a really analytical mind for building an audience, which is something he's no doubt applied in his second business in Bullfrog Media. This was a fantastic discussion with one of Australia's most influential men in fashion and advertising that was so deep that we ended up going on for another hour post-interview. We touched on many topics, including quality menswear brands, the tailored man, why it's harder to say no, starting Bullfrog Media, dealing with internet trolls, and learning from Laura and Steph of Keep It Cleaner. Subscribe if you enjoy this episode or consider leaving us a rating. Follow us on Instagram for episode promos, which is just at uncommon underscore podcasts, or you can watch the full interview on video via YouTube to search Uncommon Neural. Show notes and all previous guests are at neural.com slash podcast. That's N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E.com slash podcast. Thanks so much for listening, our regulars for coming back, and newbies for giving us a shot. I hope you all enjoy this conversation with Dalton Graham. Dalton, we're live. <laughs> we're live, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, we're live. It's as simple we as that. We've only been talking for half an hour, so yeah, we may as well get cracking. I know. Uh, before this, um, we were just having a good old gander about uh, working with partners, mm. which is fun. <laughs> um, I shouldn't roll my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I, the first thing I want to ask you now... I gave you some questions, but Laura gave me some even better answers after the fact, right? This is a so, stitch up. So, in terms of icebreakers, I want to do the icebreaker as a true or false, okay? Okay, yep. I'm going to give you a list and you can tell me after the fact whether it's true or she false. She probably gave you more things to say, didn't she? Oh, yeah. Oh. A, lot of, a lot of things. So, <laughs> Thanks, Laura. Um, you are the messiest, neat person she's ever met, true yep. or false? So true. Okay. Uh, you don't like running unless you have a specific specific <laughs> path already planned. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the stories. Uh, true. True. Okay. Uh, you eat anything she tells you if it's healthy. Correct. Okay. She stitched me up multiple times, just disclaimer. Really? But yeah, go. My dad often does that with my mum. It's always good. So, what's this, Joanne? This is great. Uh, you eat popcorn five nights a week. Oh, I wouldn't say five, but... I've been trying to cut down, <laughs> okay. and I blame Steph Smith for that one. Okay, so popcorn, not popcorn and chocolate, is your vice? Because my real vice is lint. So chocolate. I, 
funny story. I'm not a chocolate person at all, but recently I've, like, I literally, no joke, had my first limp ball five days ago. I didn't even know there was a gooey inside. So, like, I know people will judge me for that, but I'm not a chocolate person. I'm not wow. a sweet. I'm a cheese board man, not a dessert man. Okay. Um, but popcorn is savoury. Um, you don't buy from Melbourne Football Club, do you? No. Nah, Jeez. Nah, <laughs> um, definitely not. But no, popcorn I do have a lot of, but I wouldn't say it's five, but I'll say it's true for the sake of the project. Okay. Um, you have a phobia of touching the sponge in the kitchen. Oh, it's, uh, it's dirty. <laughs> like, and it's, yeah, no, I, true. Are, I you a, really are you a germaphobe? I'm a mild germaphobe and I... I blame my business partner, Marty, for this. He's a massive okay. germaphobe um, and a lot of his traits have rubbed off me and I blame it ever since three years ago we travelled Europe together for work right. for three to four weeks and a lot of it rubbed off on that. So, I'd say, yes, I'm a germaphobe. I wouldn't say I'm extreme and I'm really picky when, when I think I'm a germaphobe. Okay. So, it wasn't saying that like kicked off when you were a kid? No. It's a recent thing, which is bad. Really? And And- and Laura, you know, I'll get back to answering. Now I'm definitely going to stitch Laura up for hers. But um, Laura is not someone who really value is not a germaphobe one bit. Okay. So she'll get into anything, basically. She's happy to put her hands in everything. I'm not saying she's going to eat something off the ground that sat there for a few <laughs> days. But I'm saying it's probably, not the, day it's probably not the first thing that pops to her mind. Okay. Now, the thing about your own childhood... Um, you know, it was, it was interesting to going back and, and doing my research and finding a few little you did things. did do some digging, yeah. I did do some digging. Um, I know you've mentioned in the past about uh, learning about the work ethic of your father. Mm. Um, I was just curious, growing up, are there any sort of key, I don't know, principles or life lessons that you've learnt from either of your parents? Well, you know, to kick it off, I've largely, for most part of my life, I come from a separated family, a divorced family, both mum and dad. Um, that probably happened when I was age six, um, six or seven. And my younger sister, Jackie, was three, four at the time. So, doesn't have a lot of recollection and and neither really do I. I remember bits and pieces. Um, But for most part of, you know, my adolescence and teenage years, it was obviously as a a separated family and the juggles of what that faces. Um, But I guess, you know, going back to your question, my father's... You know, for for what for an instance, he's did his own journey since he was about twenty two. Okay. Um, carved his own path, had an opportunity, grew, brought into a business, and grew a fashion business called Woodstock Menswear. Yeah. Um, which he's no longer he's he's retired essentially. Really? Um, how long ago? Uh, I would say it would have been September last year. Um, wow. So he's fresh. He's very fresh out, um, but now does a lot of brand consulting, which he's always done um, to major manufacturers. And like I said, my background and I've sort of grown up around the rag trade and the back end, the manufacturing side and also the retail side. Yeah. Um, so, you know, from a hard work point of view, he's, I reckon, especially towards the back end, retail is bloody tough. And I think everyone knows that now. Yeah. Um, and it's become more and more apparent with big department stores like Meyer and DJs probably not doing what they're doing and, you know, publicly record losses have been put out there, but retail is tough. Um, there's not many people, especially in a men's market, which is niche, which is where he was in. Um, there's not many success stories coming out of it at the moment. No, and particularly when people, like with the menswear, I think you said in a past interview that 
it's all about loyalty. Like men will often just stick to one or two stores, and I do that. Hundred percent. I'm terrible at that. Actually, <laughs> let me guess. You've got the same pair of jeans you buy because you know they fit properly, or the same blazer or shirt or t-shirt that you're like, no, I'll go back and get that. Yeah, I mean, look, yep. I buy my staples from Uniqlo. I go to is it Uniqlo shop. or Uniqlo? Jesus, I a good have question. this argument every day with people. I'm a massive fan of the brand. I've got Uniqlo jeans on right now. I don't know. Uniqlo. I, I, I would say it's Uniqlo, but I've, I might be wrong. But I, I've never heard Unique Clo or Unique Clo. Because we, me and my partner have become a little bit obsessed with Japan and we've been there oh, twice in the last 18 months. Fall in love with. I haven't been there, but I'm a distant admirer. You, it's so cheap to fly at the moment. It's like 800 bucks return with Qantas. Business is nothing. One, because of my, one of my guys in my team is right there right now. And I'm like, you are so Really? Yeah. It's an amazing place. And then when you go to the Uniqlo there, <laughs> it's... Um, can we, that's can how we come back play. to that? I actually want to get the proper pronunciation. I, I, I have no idea. This is where we need like uh, Lauren here. Who, just to set the record straight. Yeah, to, to or just look to, it up on the f- like Joe Rogan style, just to be looking it up on like a screen on the side there. How do you pronounce Uniqlo? Look, I'm going to take a punt and say the way that I've been saying it, Uniqlo. Okay. Or what what was the other way? Uniqlo. Okay. I just think like unique clo, like Uniqlo. Like, Uniqlo. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just a it's a subtle it's a subtle change, but look, let's just say we're both right. <laughs> Um, the other brands that I generally have an affinity for are P. Johnson's Suit Shop. So, I mainly just get jackets made from them. Incredible brand. Yep. Um, and Someday or Someplace. I, I can remember. The casual wear store in the yeah, city? Yeah, it's actually in the Royal Arcade. In the Royal Arcade, well. yep. yep. Um, yeah, good. That's three shops. That's it. Maybe cause every now and then. Yeah, well, a f- more expensive basics. A more expensive version of uni- Uniqlo, whatever we're calling it. <laughs> that's what I call cause. Yeah. But- You've covered, to be honest, it's probably very similar to where I do my bases and P. Johnson is an incredible tailored brand um, and they've built a great brand from custom-made suiting. Um, Who are your go-to spots? I, like, I'm, it sounds really repetitive, but Uniqlo, like I'm wearing top to bottom Uniqlo now, really? apart from my RM Williams, which I smash out okay. every day. I've not bought a pair of RM Williams. I've been told this repeatedly that I need to go get a nice pair of boots. Look, I was an objector for a long time. I'm like, how can they be so comfy? <laughs> Conscientious um, <laughs> But it's, to be honest, like my style has probably changed from where it was when probably starting... Uh, or working in a corporate world where I used to wear a suit every day. Now, being in an agency environment and nine to five, sort of hustling around the office and, you know, no glitz and glam. Of course, I'm very lucky to go to great events and dress up in beautiful suits. And I've worked with some incredible brands over the last five to six years. But it's it's one of those things that now I'm literally unfortunate for the curtain behind me, but uh, I'm blending into the background. But I wear black on black every day which yeah people will be like oh it's melbourne black or typical agency rah, rah, rah. but <laughs> that's what i wear but that is like as well one of the things that's really made the tailored man as a brand is like you that was something that you've always honed in on is is comfort mm-hmm. but but not being a slouchy kind of guy like no. still looking good Refined. but having comfort yeah and largely that's where it started from yeah. um affordable fashion that was relatable to the wider market of 25 to 35 year old males as such um and there's no real you know price sort of that's our target market as a whole um and being that bracket myself but when i started though i wasn't really even that bracket you know i was only 20 
you know, at the time. Okay. So, this is going back five, six years ago now. So, it's that was the target intended for, but that's where I knew growing up in a retail space, I knew there was so much help that needed to be done and there wasn't a lot out there for guys to do a quick, easy, like, that's a great outfit, I'm going to go buy that. Yeah. And I even look back and it's still on there now. I look back to where we first where I started it from and it was headless cut off three quarter shots that I deliberately did to separate myself from the brand but also don't put it age or gender or so not gender sorry <laughs> definitely male um, age or certain look and feel to what we were doing um, yeah but that's that's interesting because I, I felt like we were chatting about this before in the kitchen like that basically what you had back then was brands that would always talk about Sorry, not brands, but influencer type platforms, publishers, mm. blogs, whatever, talking about like often going for the top shelf stuff mm. to start off with and not talking about something that is within range of people's- like 90% wallet. of the population. Yeah, um, 90% of the population. And that was the yeah. thing that always baffled me. You know, I looked at as an admirer growing up and obviously around fashion, but I would never say that I was lucky because of what my dad did. I always had really nice clothes. Yeah. But I wouldn't have said that I was a fashion, like, you know, I was so engrossed in it and it was never really my plan to even dabble in that space. Right. Um. Because I was intrigued by that. Like, what came first, fashion or football? Oh, football was a large part of my life. <laughs> and it's it's funny talking about it now and I still get asked a lot, like, you're not playing football anymore. Like, what, hap- like, what happened? Well, people say that yeah, to you. Yeah, all the time. And I, yeah. like, the one thing football gave me, it, was a l- it's, it touches so many people, especially in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, and I was very lucky to play at a semi-professional level in the VFL um, and learn and be a part of a team at the time in Hawthorne and Box Hill that were incredibly successful. Um, and Hawthorne going down as over those three premiership years being arguably the best team to ever play the game yeah. over a three-year period. Um, and the lessons growing up before that, like football was everything, but also, you know, going back to your earlier question, which we didn't really answer, was <laughs> life lessons from my father or mother was always have a backup plan. Yeah. And my backup plan was to study hard. It took me later in school, year 10, to really realise that. But also, I was very lucky to go to a great school in Trinity Grammar. And I always, you know, to my dad's, you know, credit, he always, like, made me know that, like, you're lucky to go to this school. Yeah. Um, Did you get any threats? Like, if you were mucking around that they'd send you... Mine was like, we'll send you to Brighton Second, and people probably listening to this right now. Went to Brighton. <laughs> I think just leave the names out. But I, it was never something like a threat. It was just more... I, I owed that to him. He was a Trinity boy, and so there was that sort of uh, affinity between me going there as well and, and definitely lucky to go to such an incredible school. Um and but it was one of those things he also made me realize and and it really made me accountable from you know year seven which you go in so green you got no idea and you really start to work things out not everyone Mm. um really start to work things out maybe year 11 and 12 maybe but i know a lot of the case it's not the case and people get to uni and they're like oh what am i doing i don't want to be a lawyer i don't want to be a doctor um because that's always the goal you know i left school doing science to become a sports doctor yeah didn't didn't happen (laughs) um (laughs) But, you know, it's, it's, it's just one of those things, you know, I, I also, I think the appreciation of going to a good school um, made me work hard to have that backup plan. So, mm. that was something that always resonated. He's like, football is not forever. What is your backup plan? That's very good. Because I know that a lot of parents can get wrapped up in the... 
oh, the, the, the parents the spect- of the sports person. Yeah, the scenario. spectacle that is my boy plays in the VFL. Oh. You can imagine. And, and I, I will tell you right now, dad never missed a game. And it was really? very much that. And he used to be quite a handy footballer before he had a car crash and was on an AFL list or intended to be on an AFL list and had a car crash and it cut it short. Really? Um, smashed all his legs. So, a lot of people used to give the tagline growing up, oh, you just, your father's living his dream through you, all that sort of crap. People used to say that. People are pretty brazen these days, probably like, not as bad, you know, before than these days. But it's, it's, it's one of those things that it was always my decision. And it was my decision when I left. Yeah. Which he hated, still hates it. When am I going back to football? Um, really? I don't have time, Dad. <laughs> Simple. Do my you, life's changed. You don't play any club football at all anymore? Don't. No. I've been asked. I've been, I still get asked. And, you know, it's now been, what is it? Two, two seasons out of the game. Okay. Um, which my last game was for Port Melbourne Football Club. And an incredible club under Gary Ayres and a great culture. I did my knee in round two. First, first injury of my career, of a major injury, wow. um, bar little soft tissue and niggles. I was really did not have an injury before that. Um, and, you know, you have that fact of I was a very inside footballer and very at the bottom of the pack getting killed, um, which my body is not thanking me at the moment for. But um, <laughs> that was how I was played. And in some ways, you think you're invincible until you're not. Mm. And really that injury, which is, yeah, going back two, three years ago now, was really the catalyst for my business growing. Okay. It was almost a silver lining, um, which in turn didn't allow me to go back. I did bounce back really quickly from my knee injury. I was very diligent with my rehab and I was always one of those things like training and ticking things off and routine is a massive part of my life. It is now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I get a sense that you're a very conscientious uh, type of guy. Yeah. You like things being... I like things in, in a certain way. I'm not going to fold my clothes and make sure they're all right. As the earlier question, I'm the messiest, neatest person in the world or whatever it was. Um, so, you're not ironing your undies? No, I don't want to go that far. <laughs> but it's, but I'm, I'm, I'm very, and I think a lot of athletes in their time, like I said, I, I didn't play AFL or anything like that. But, you know, at a higher level, you, you almost become routine. And mm. like your life is so regimented. And especially at a top, you know, top level, you're, what you're eating when you're training, what you're doing outside of training, how you're thinking, sleeping, everything is regimented. Yeah. Um, yeah, it takes over your life. And I still do a lot of work with, you know, AFL players now and work-life balance. I work with a lot of them now just outside away from football about, you know, what's going on next or what's happening outside of football, which is a really nice relationship to have. Um, but it's, it's it's one of those things you – I am routine, but I also found I played my best footy when I started to relax. Yeah. Um, I would say that I had more of an obsessive nature, especially my early days. And, and getting overlooked in the draft from a TOC point of view, it's you, I have to play AFL, I have to play AFL. And I grew, I grew up, I guess. I realized my lane or my life was changing and what I wanted to get out of the game started to change. Yeah. My goal wasn't to play AFL, it was to be a great team and have team success, which I know that sounds like a cliche and people say, no, I want team success. It's not. But it's all you want. Well, it's, it's, but you also in that environment where someone getting injured is pretty much based off how far you can progress. And mm. especially I'm not the tallest, I'm just under six foot. Um, it's really tough to get a gig. Mm. I, I, you know, as, as far as self-criticism goes, I was always my harshest judge, but I probably, there was things that I was never going to be as good at 
as someone else mm. or that person a step ahead. And it probably took me to realize those things, not the time I did my knee, it was probably a year or two before that, of what I valued from my football journey and the things I learned from it. So during that time, when did you go, well, maybe I need to just start looking at things other... Like, I know that you were working... Yep at uh, your father's business and there was another business there yep. for a time, all retail. Yep. So, you learned sort of the, tr- the, the trade of selling. I think what you really learned there was selling to people, right? Essentially. And yeah. my, I would say my old man is one of the best salespersons <laughs> I've seen. I might be better, but no, it's- Sell, did, did he, ever come, did sell me the pen. <laughs> no, we won't go there. Anyway, I'm not Jordan Belfort. But, um, you know, it's I, I'm very- thankful that I grew up on the retail floor from the age of 10. Yeah. I used to help him in the store. I'd pester him. Did you? I didn't realize the actual knowledge and the confidence of relating to so many different people has in working in a retail environment. Yeah. If you open your mind and and that customer service angle, still so many people don't understand it. Do you ever get like a bit of nostalgia? So, to, to relay the relevance for me, my dad was a printer. So, mm. for me, it was going in the factory and it was the smell of fresh paper. That was the thing that gave me massive nostalgia. Did you ever have that? Do you have that when you go into stores? Like if you go into and they've got like the the linen books or the, you know, like the suit material books and Um, anything like that? Well, I would say, I would say the nostalgia is now is when someone's trying to sell to me in a store. (laughs) I'm like, I'm good, mate. I'm just looking. (laughs) Yeah. I'm here to browse. and, And a lot of people do that. I'm happy to browse. I'm happy to take my own time. I know what I want. Yeah. And look. I would hope, you know, especially with my background, I would know what I'm there to buy. I don't like browsing like a lot of guys don't. Um, but I think the nostalgia for me or, or what really hits home is, you know, especially towards the back end of when I was out of the business, which was pretty much from the age of 20, um, 2021. Um, like I grew up on the shop floor and then, yep, I went to uni playing football, working part-time for, in my father's business. And then I actually got headhunted for a role as a national sales and marketing manager for a Chinese manufacturing company that does a lot of imports, exports for suiting companies in Australia. Wow. I was in there for six months and then before (laughs) you know it, the tailored man takes off and I make that decision. Yeah. So, where did that idea, when, you know, in my notes, I had this whole idea of the aha moment. Like, what was it for you? The aha moment for, so, cut a long story short, the tailored man started, it was really I would say it started in the year of 2013, 2014. Okay. Um, it actually, on LinkedIn, it says 2015, which is wrong. Yeah. Which is wrong. Um, but that started when my partner at the time, she was studying in New York. Uh, she had an exchange in, at FIT, an incredible fashion institute over there. And I went over and started to really like Instagram had just not even become a thing yet. It was just a platform and more in the States than anything. Yeah. It was released in October or released in October 2011. Yeah. Didn't really get going until- Two, three years later. Two, three years later. Yeah. You know, by 2012, 2013, it was still unknown. Um, and that's where it sort of started for uh-huh. me. And I went over there and saw a couple of people in the States who are individuals. Um, some are huge now, millions of followers. And I still, you know, I know those guys. I've met those guys over the journey. And I sort of came back from that and and seeing obviously my retail experience and being on the floor and getting guys questions. Where'd you get that? Or where's that from? Or hang on, where can I get that shirt? Um, I started to see there was a gap between advertorial from a, a magazine point of view and just online. Like yeah. what is there a resource for guys? And still now it's a niche market. 
um, the market that the tailored man is in, we probably have not competitors, but four to five peer publications that we are in that space together. The okay. men's lifestyle space. Yeah. Um, it is, isn't it? It's that sort of catch-all, you know, watches, alcohol, dining, f- fashion. Essentially, yeah. And, and you know, just on that note, we're about to relaunch the way we're doing things, um, which has been a – largely, it's been a really interesting process because, as I'm sure we'll touch on later, my priorities have changed, essentially, in the last yeah. couple of years. Um, but – how things are done and I'm so lucky that I started in a space where there was nothing um, and, and it's not to say I was the first like I said I saw people in the States doing it in 2013 yeah. um, and those guys are still huge now but I was always very conscious of it can't be about me because the biggest thing that pisses guys off and I, this is my experience from the retail floor was a guy would come in see young blonde hair white guy Caucasian looking guy like oh well, I'm not going to trust him like I'm a 40-year-old male. Like, I can't wear what he's wearing. He's too young. The, the suit's too slim, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I used to sell to these guys all the time. And that's why I started pretty much straight off the bat. It was pretty much outfit inspo shots that I'd cut my head off. Right. It was my chin. That's all you could get. That's a good point. I have bugger all facial hair, so you could probably put it <laughs> into one. But it's that's I did that deliberately to pretty much negate that pigeonhole effect right yeah because i remember like we were saying before you would get these influencer guys here in melbourne and it Mm. would just be them and their style Mm. and it's sort of like the old school of looking at the the vogue magazine or fantastic man or something like that Mm. where you're getting inspiration but you know a lot of people would the the average man the average man would never ever relate to that i'm not gonna look like brad pitt Let's yeah. be honest. Like okay. it's and and nor will any of us. And what you see, especially now with what I'm doing and being in this space for the last five to six years, is what you see in a magazine is it's photoshopped, it's changed, it's critiqued, it's cut. You know, for the extent of they're wearing a suit and you've cut all the back out just to make it fit. Yeah. So how can you relate to that? Yeah. And that's what I always thought is like, okay, we can have nice things sprinkled in: P. Johnson blazer, Uniqlo jeans, and t-shirt. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So, my whole outfit, okay, the P. Johnson blazer might have cost a little bit more and it definitely probably is, but, <laughs> but everything else but is But the whole outfit is a foundation. And yeah. I always say in a lot of things we've done, the tailored man and a lot of interviews is building the foundations of your wardrobe. Yeah. That was a thing that I've always sort of just had in my head, but realize you've documented it in a way, you know, like you've talked about sort of your, I don't know, like your pillar pieces, like a mm. jacket or- shoes or something that really stands out in the outfit or allows you to carry off carry off as like a lattice work across many yep. different outfits but then you have these interchangeable things like your uniqlo shirt and <laughs> or, or a really nice blazer you know yeah. seasonal i say like all the time and I've, I've done a lot of styling mentor and i do private styling on the side but not very frequently, just off cases and all the rest of it. Yeah. And obviously do it for our shoots and oversee them and from an agency point of view and also the tailored man, of course. But it's, you know, styling, I guess, has been a large part of what the tailored man is and the foundation really is fashion styling. Um, but I think the the crazy thing about that is that people always assume that you just can go, oh, it's good because it's Tom Ford or it's good because it's Hugo Boss or it's yeah. good because it's this. Well, no, the jacket's nice, but the pants are not. So, you could probably get the pants for that price and that price where I was always the one that was and from the early days, got a Uniqlo jumper on. I might have a 
MJ Bale jacket on or blazer or whatever it might be. You know, we've worked, we've we've had a long-standing relationship with a Hugo Boss, but a Hugo Boss is not a custom-made P. Johnson suit either. Mm. That's a different price point altogether. Yeah. Um, you know, you can get a Hugo Boss suit from $1,200 to $2,000. Now, that's a lot of money, but I'm also saying understanding the market from my background and I've seen where they're made essentially and what factories they come out of, I have always based decisions of brand partnerships and any sort of partnership with the tailored man off quality first. Mm. Uniqlo is a great quality product. I've had the same cotton Oxford button-down shirt for three to five years, still holds its shape. Really? But you know what? If it runs out and I do look after my clothes, like <laughs> if it burns out, hey, I paid 50 bucks. I've got my innings out of it. Yeah, you know what I mean? Happy, like, yeah. And that's guys are like going back to we're creatures of habit, but also we're loyal and we're also like, no, no, I've still got a bit more in that. Like, I've got a bit more. <laughs> the, the amount of guys I would have seen on the retail floor come in with a 10-year-old suit just because it had Hugo Boss. Now, I got this when I got a promotion. Yeah, mate, but it's three-button, double plates. It looks like a pyjamas. It looks like pyjamas. <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah. And then they put a slim fit suit on. They're like, nah, too tight, too tight, too tight. I'm like, just wait. <laughs> just um, try it out. You, you'll, you'll get yeah, used to it. And that's, and that's really where it's at is like a lot of things in life, it's – it's trying something new and rolling with it. And if it works, it works. Yeah. A lot of people are scared to make that jump from a fashion point of view, jobs, in, in all facets of life. Yeah. Um, who are your icons now? Because that, that was one thing I read about. Yeah. And I, I would say you asked me five, six years ago when I first started, they're very different. I think I think you had jotted down like George Clooney and Sean Connery, <laughs> Sean Connery all these. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think they're your stereotypical ones, but... As far as like a fashion inspiration, I, I wouldn't say there's a set in stone look. Like I can't really say to a celebrity, they've just, they've nailed it, you know what I mean? Because now I probably pick it apart too much. Yeah. I think- It's more about aesthetics, right? It's, it's, it's the aesthetic, but it's also the, the gut. Like I would sum myself up is, you know, apart from what I'm wearing a lot more these days, but if I was to go out, it's, it's tailored, relaxed, casual wear. Yeah. And to be honest, the whole menswear market has shifted to that. Yeah, it's refined business but hey I, I've got a really nice blazer and just I'm wearing a basic t-shirt I've got some good sneakers on and some jeans cool yeah how many guys wear ties anymore in the city none <laughs> if, you it's know, a good question 1% of the population and I've done so yeah. many things at co- big corporate firms and styling consultancy and stuff like that and it's just like guy wears blue suit white shirt yeah that's I would say that's 90% of everyone wearing a suit in the city right now yeah hey want someone wore a charcoal suit great Black suits? No. Unless you go into a funeral, no one wears them anymore. Yeah. Um, or, or a black tie dinner, um, no one wears them to work anymore. Some people, of course, still do, but it's a minority. Yeah, it's a very small, small percentage. Small amount. And especially in the space that I'm in, the creative space, no one wears a suit. Like if I rocked Ever. up to a suit in the office, the boy's like, where are you going? Where are you going out? I'm like, no, no, no. But like it's, it's, it's dressing for the environment you're in. Yeah. You know, of course, banks, you have to wear a suit. Or, but do you have to anymore? Because a lot of them aren't. They're yeah. wearing... A P. Johnson blazer because they can afford to wear a P. Johnson blazer, but they might wear a Uniqlo pair of jeans, but they've got five hundred dollar pair of sneakers on. Yeah, some Yeezys or something like that. Whatever you know, <laughs> and and like that's that's their choice, but it's it's yeah. that's where the norms of and that's where you know I guess retail has seen a change in society and also from an economic point of view is that it's suits of the di- suits have died essentially. Yeah. Um, I still love how refined a suit makes a guy look and a girl for that matter. Like I think it's such an, a, a 
beautiful thing when someone's dressed to the nines, really nice fitting suit, shirt, tie, whatever it might be. Spring race is a perfect example. Yeah. You feel like you're putting on a, a piece of armour in a way. Like there's something special oh, about it. Exactly. Like there, there's a guy who made lock, stock and two smoking barrels. Oh, guy Ritchie. Oh, yeah. That's what he has this little clip on uh, the JRE, the Joe Rogan podcast about that, about why was he wearing, because he was like full on mm. dressed in a suit, tie, everything. And he was just talking about, yeah, you're right. Like the suit has been lost, hasn't it? It has. And, you know, I'll tell you a funny little study I found out a little while ago as someone in a, a firm in Melbourne actually tested the theory because they were having okay. issues with casual Friday now becoming casual week. Okay. And now casual Friday is pretty much redundant. It's just you just wear you look good, you know, like whatever, you look together. Yeah. Um, you're not wearing your track suits, but you you're casual and relaxed, but you've you know, you've got something going on, you know, like it's together in tidiness, right? That's it. <laughs> it's 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 one of those things that um they're wearing all suits and a first year intern who was, I think, 27 at the time in a law firm, was the only one to wear a tie that day. How many people you think went up to him that didn't know him or thought he was a senior partner or something like that? Most of them. Yeah. Because people still have that affinity and that brand look that the person wearing the tie must be in charge. Yeah. Because everyone else looks a bit more casual and... You know, he, he knows what he's doing. That's Yeah, that is a very good point. And that's, it's that element of confidence. 100% because yeah, that's, let's, let's let's use the pinnacle. Harvey Specter, yeah. he's always in a great suit. Now, <laughs> yeah, that's his character and he plays that character well. But it's, it's a similar situation. Like mm. someone is really well put together. They've got a well-fitting suit, a great all-round outfit and look. Everything fits well. It's ironed. It's all the rest. Of course, you're going to take him more seriously. Mm. Is Harvey Specter Harvey Specter without the suit? That's the question. I say he's not because we've seen him in casual wear on suits as well. And I'm a massive fan of suits, but he still looks together. Yeah. You know, if you're going to say there's a style icon, that's probably it for me, but I don't wear as many suits as I used to. So, I can't really make that, oh, no, that's my style. Yeah. Um, when it came to this really kicking off, like, so you were posting these- Three-quarter cut-off headshots. Yeah, yep. these cut-off headshots. Where did it go from there? Like, where, how does it go from that? Because we only see the end where you are now, where it's, you know, yep. doing this stuff for Jeep and Hugo Boss and whoever yep. else. Yep. Uh, I want to know- uh, what, How do you get the, to that stage? Yeah, and it still blows me away. What's the shittiest job that you've ever had? Oh. Without, without naming names, if you can. Oh, you know, and, and this sort of goes back to what I was saying over quality and all the rest of it. I would never say I've done a shitty job. Mm. I think I judge each job on its merits at the time and then when it comes through. I've, I can tell you what, I've said no to a lot. Yeah. A hell of a lot. Um, and if I'd said yes to a lot, it's, I don't think I'd still be around. Right. Point, point, you know, like the point is that I think we've so been very, very selective. brand selective and unless there is, and that, a lot of it, like I said, came from a quality standpoint and me knowing the brand or where it's come from or what can we work? The f- one of the first brands I worked with going back four or five years ago was Mercedes-Benz. Really? Um, how did they reach out to you or how did that happen? Reached out through some very good friends who are still in the PR game, Romano and Beck, um, okay. and very good friends of mine still. Um, and this might even be, yeah, it's very early days. Like I think I How might have had- ago? I, I would say 15,000 followers. So, it's probably early, oh. early days. Yeah. Um, 
but they saw something in that space and it was promoting the night noodle market and <laughs> and me there kitted up the surroundings all the rest of it and from that that's mercedes-benz has been my longest standing relationship and now still a partner of the tailored man and we have projects going out all the time from car reviews to bigger projects wow. and now also an agency client what a partner well, as well it's a it's a great one to get a cre- credibility straight off the bat yeah um but that's where i was always you know from that standpoint is any brand we get on says is almost like for car the automotive industry for example i can't work with every automotive industry every, every automotive manufacturer because some are competitors i can't mm-hmm. work with mercedes and then work with bmw i'm not a car platform I'm a lifestyle platform talking about cars yeah, in a different way from a lifestyle element. Yeah, we do little bits of reviews and all the rest of it, but the stories and the storytelling itself is not so much these are the nuts and bolts about the car, you should buy this car. It's how does this fit into the busy man's life? Is it the inner city slicker? Is it the suburban dad? All that sort of stuff. Um, but you have to be very brand conscious. Mm. And so I guess having that early day affiliation with one of the most recognised brands in the world and having that level of prestige and quality i guess set the bar to me of everything else that needs to fall in now we can't go yes we can still be achievable and relatable um and work with a jeep or a holden which we you know we've almost worked with every single one at given times over the years but in at different levels yeah um and different levels from a partnership point of view but you can't go from one to the other and just think it's gonna everyone's gonna be happy about it no and we, we've heard that from other people. In Generally, in the media industry, you can't just sort of, you know, dilly-daddle around with different people at different... Because they just hear about it. Well, and but it's also... It's... I think the biggest thing that's been lost in this social media hype world, the, you know, I call it the prostitution of advertising, essentially, <laughs> um, is the actual brand itself and understanding the brand values. Yeah. Um, like I said, quality was for everything. I don't think anyone could attest that Mercedes-Benz is bad quality cars. Yeah. You yeah, can't. you can't. You know, and and that, look, I would say they're above, they're not achievable to everyone, but you can still buy one for $39,000. Now, yeah, it's a smaller car and it's not, it's a very, it's a higher entry point to that small vehicle that can be brought for a lot cheaper by other manufacturers. Yeah. But it's, it's still, you can still get a Mercedes-Benz at $39,000. I'm not saying that's for everyone. I'm not saying that's achievable for everyone either. Um, but that was... And obviously, the, the price range goes way up from there. But it's also having the understanding of what you're getting at $39,000 mm. or what you're buying from a Hugo Boss suit as opposed to a P. Johnson suit and what that experience is. Yeah, well, it goes back to that old point that you had before about what what is... What are you getting for the for what you're paying? As in, like I had that similar thing because I, I wanted to be a sommelier when I was at uni. I was studying, Love I wine. was doing commerce and all that. I was a wine waiter at the press club. I was training up, doing yeah. all that stuff. And I, my thing was like selecting not the most expensive uh, bottle of Rothschild Bordeaux, like something that you could get at a $100 price point, which yeah. was like drinking something at $2,000. And that's what I wanted. And it sounds 100%. like that has always been... The foundations. Yeah, something for you in the way that you do it and going back to that every man. And that's, like I said, going back to my roots and where I've grown up, that's largely what my old man taught me is mm. it's quality over price point and brand. Mm. Um, and that's in all facets. And, and I think 
I always say now, and I say to a lot of people, and a lot of now with the creative space and the world pushing so much more to people being sole traders or running their own business, which is bloody hard, I always say to people, if you're the best at what you do, you'll find work. Mm. Now, that sounds pretty full on to be like, yeah, okay, I'm the best at what I do. But if you're hungry enough to be the best at what you do, it's not like you're not going to get work. Mm. And you're, you're prepared to work your ass off and hustle and put yourself out there. You're going to find work. You can't sit there and tell me if you're doing everything you can and you've got this dream and a passion that, yeah, you've done your research on, you've set the business plan and all the rest of it and you're not going at, at it flaky, I'd, I'd be very surprised at people that aren't successful past that point. That reminds me of that point you mentioned before about, um, <laughs> which is so funny, the sort of, the what did you call it? The prostitution of advertising. advertising yeah. But that is like a, such a big, th- you know, because one of the things I wrote here was about recognition as an influencer because what I've been fascinated by is the fact that still in a way like brands are dealing with let's call it new media influencers uh platforms whatever it may be in a different way to older media like mainstream media yeah mainstream media um but what you raise is a very interesting point in and of itself like you see so much of that sort of bastardization of things out on you know, influencer promoting this and doing that. You mean, you mean these ones holding the product? Yeah, this sort of like yeah. here's my bottle. Here's this, you know, tea which will make you shit for forty eight hours, <laughs> <laughs> um, and you lose all the weight. <laughs> oh, like all of that, you see all of that stuff. But I, what th- I guess what I've noticed amongst, uh, you know, yourself, Laura, Steph is again that selection of very very specific brands. Yep. Like you guys must get hit up with a lot of shit regularly. A lot. Because people are just like, again, it's sort of, it does have that prostitution element to it, doesn't it? People are just like, oh yeah, they'll do it. You know, I'm helping them out. Like, and, and you how know, good are we? And you know, <laughs> yes. <laughs> how good are you? But it's, <laughs> and, and it takes as, you know, this is a cliche, it's, it's a lot harder to say no than yes. Mm. And I think I've applied that all the way through with Tailored Man. And like you said, going back to when you said, what's the shittest job? No shit job. There's just different levels. Some are going to be more of a headache than others, but I still committed to that job. Yeah. And I still said yes, based off the values that I was going for. Yeah. Um, the one thing that's probably changed in the last couple of years is, in, and been a conscious decision from myself from probably three, four years ago. And like I said, it still goes back to when the Tailored Man started, where I used to cut my head off, is separating me from the brand. Mm. And that took time because people still, I'm the founder of The Tailored Man. Um, and I even pulled you up on it when you put it in your caption on your Instagram post. Right. Yeah, well, you're just, better half. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, 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 it's one of those things like I've worked so hard to differentiate both brands of, okay, personal brand and The Tailored Man. Yeah. You don't want it to be- It's not about me. Tailored brackets Dalton Graham no, man. No. It's the tailored man. Correct. And it's and like I said, I reckon I've featured out of however thousands of posts we've got done over the time, over the last five to six years, I would say that I would feature on those posts five percent. Mm-hmm. If that. You know, I could probably count and I can think off the top of my head campaigns where I've been in it. That's a very hard th- I I could imagine though that would have been a very hard thing for you to do. With with the, you know, that perfectionist element coming through as well. It was also, it wasn't that change of actually showcasing my face, which happened, the first trip was a trip to Europe with Aquila. 
Okay. Which is where me and Marty started the germophobia, and that was our first trip together, essentially. Really? Our first big overseas trip. It was a three-week trip. It was a big job. It was had multiple facets going on. Where was it? Uh, all across Italy. Okay. Oh, sorry. What did we do? No. London. Yeah. London and Italy. Okay. How long ago was this? Three years? Three, four years ago? Yeah. 2016? I'd love to look that up. <laughs> oh, you should. It's hilarious. That was the first time I really put my face out there. And that really? was a request from the brand. And I was like, hmm. And, and it was hard. I really tried to, I, I really pushed back on it. Like I was like not comfortable with it. I was not comfortable with being in front of the camera and putting a name to a face. Why? Just, it wasn't, wasn't my goal. It wasn't my, it wasn't what I wanted it to be about. So the question is, why did I do it? Well, mm. A, it was to experiment with what it could work, but also when I was posting about it, I was actually directing traffic to my personal account. Uh-huh. So it was A, it was a conscious decision to build my personal brand, you could have said, and, and, and it was, but also it was conscious based off, no, we really want you to be in these photos. Oh, it's going to be so hard to, like, how can you show Europe and the Paris and London and all the rest of it with cutting off my head and show the Eiffel Tower in the background. <laughs> it does not work. It'd be an interesting campaign though. And Paris was one now that I remember, but like it just doesn't work. Like or else yeah. you may as well just shoot it in a chair in a cafe in Melbourne. Yeah. So it was seeing, that was probably the first time I was like, well, we have limitations in what we can do based off this, but this is when we're going to start featuring other prominent males in society and start giving, telling their story. So I quickly pulled away from it as soon as that trip was over. Yeah, because that's one thing I got from from what you guys do is sort of. It, it seems like you've, and this I think is your point of difference as well is that element of storytelling. Like mm. a lot of the brands, it's it's hard to tell because I don't want to generalize it, but it just mm. I get a sense that it is a lot more editorial. Where yours is like a narrative. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it's I'm glad you've picked up on it because it's been a conscious decision. Yeah. Um, especially over the last couple of years. And it's a lot more in- intriguing. Well, do you know what I mean? It's, like- it's advertising, but a story. Yeah. Now, we've done some incredible partnerships in the last couple of years. And, and to be honest, all of that, like I said, taking away from me, I've done, you know, Hugo Boss tutorials on what to wear to work and what to wear to this and done stuff with Tim Robards, Didier Cohen, things like that. And so many, like my videos, for instance, with Laura and some other talent, Michael Klim. Yeah. Um, and that was, you know, that. My videos came about because my brand had built to a certain level and then ultimately led me to be the first male ambassador for the fashions on the field, which I felt very humbled to be as well. Yeah, was that sort um, of like a form of, I don't know what the word is, like recognition in a way? Or but for you, it sounds like it wasn't that at all. I, it, I don't look at it like that, but people would look at it like, hey, well, you achieved your, you achieved to build your brand enough to be push, positioned as a, a male authority in this space. Yeah. And you could look at it like that. I I don't read it like that. Like I, and and that's up to everyone else to make opinions. But I look at it as like, I wasn't working to that point. That opportunity just came out. If it didn't mm. happen, I still would have been working in the same direction. Yeah, it's like who gives a shit? I'd, you know, I'd continue going on. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think it makes more testament now of sort of well, I'm not really involving in that space much at all anymore. Yeah. Um, and I'm still, of course, involved and doing things with Laura and all the rest of it. And of, of course, those things pop up and they do pop up with personal gigs and all the rest of it. But a lot of that personal and that conscious decision to separate the two brands was, well, I have my life and I'm not going to share my dog on there. I'm not going to share this. Like the Taylor Man it's, is its own thing. Mm. It's not a personal journey of I'm said person like 
that's me and this is my everyday antics. It wasn't that. It was a platform built that had a strong social influence that had its website, has its blogs, its articles, its reviews and all the rest of it. Similar to a GQ, Damage. Damage was one of the first around and like he, he's done it. He's, incre- he's done an incredible job. Yeah. Um, and one of the first I used to read back, you know, when I was 18 and he's been around in space for a similar sort of time a couple of years before me. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where you had the strength in social, you know, and, and Instagram, which was nothing at the time. Yeah, it sort of sounds like you found this thing and you've, like there's the obvious elements of you learnt to tell a story because you didn't want to be the face of it. Uh, you know, you had to found, tell it in a different way. Yeah, had to tell it in a different way, which in a way made you unique in your own way. And then you found this platform, which was Instagram, which for you it sort of seems as a natural born salesman, as you learnt from your dad, it was like, wow, this is this is a big Got deal. Growth. Yeah, yeah, and hey, I can monetize. I can do this. other things. Yeah, and. Taylor Man has changed my life. Yeah. I would not have met Laura if it wasn't for the Taylor Man. And that's, that's there's no direct correlation, and I'm sure we'll get into that. <laughs> but it's, I would not have had the opportunities in life that I have if it wasn't for the Taylor Man really? or being first in the space. If I was to start the Taylor Man right now, it doesn't work. Mm. The space, does, Instagram, the algorithm doesn't allow for it. It's saturated. Yeah. I started where there was no one, okay? A few people overseas. Yeah, that worked, but I'm going to tweak it differently. But I don't want to be the same as Damage. I don't want to be the same as GQ. What's our point of difference? Mm. So, our point of difference has to be affordable fashion, basic outfits. Now, it changed a lot in that two to three years. Website came along. We're going to do reviews. We're going to do food. We're going to do little bits and pieces. But the core element is that fashion advice. Mm. So, those narratives and that storytelling, which was more of like a, okay, well, first time I read my head was this trip. But the narrative was the trip, exploring Europe with Aquila. Mm. That was the narrative. Oh, we're in this city. We're in that city. And now you see it all the time. There's for meals, trips, influencers go everywhere, Coachella, whatever it might be. We'll pay you to go here, ba 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 ba. And that was really like in, in fairness, like Aquila were probably ahead of their time. Yeah. Probably one of the first to do it. Now, if that was a, a massive global brand, everyone would be like looking at that campaign saying, whoa. That's that's a good idea. Yeah. Well, now they're doing it. And that's probably two years after it. How did then, you know, because one of the things you've done now is you've stood back from Tailored Mound. You're now creating a new business, Bullfrog Media. Mm-hmm. And now, are you? did you co-found this with Martin as well? Yes. Okay. And, and, and Marty has been incredible. He's been a part of the journey, not from the get-go, from the Tailored Mound point of view, Um like I said, that first trip in Europe, which is three, four years ago now, that was his. That was one of the first gigs we did together. And Marty is an incredibly talented guy. He's got an architectural degree. He's got a design degree. He's, 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 he's a bit older than me as well. But it's, it's, it's one of those things. He's such an all-round creative guy. He picked up a camera and now is a pretty incredible photographer, which a lot of people know and don't know is that, you know, he picked up a camera just because I asked him to. I said, can you take this? This will be handy for the tailored band if you can take a photo. Wow. Are you kidding? Oh, literally. It was a hobby. Fuck. Yeah. No, no, no. One of our like first shoots. So, three, four years ago is when he first started. Essentially. And now he's a very, very, very good photographer. Wow. I thought like this has been his entire career. Nope. And he's just like the guy that you had to do like photography or videography or whatever. He was not a freelancer. He, his first gig for me was writing architectural interior design articles. Wow. How did you guys meet? Uh, through another guy at the time that 
worked for me and a, a very good friend, Josh Bozen, who now is still That's in right. the space. Yeah. Um, he's no longer working with us anymore. Um, but we were mutual friends. He was friends with Marty. I had actually met Marty at Falls Festival just out of school at 18. Really? And I was like, this guy's so kooky and weird at the time. <laughs> but how things change. You know, we're now best mates, business partners, and he's largely been a part of this journey from the get-go and, and shapes a lot of the storytelling with me from the get-go. So, yeah. the briefs and the partnerships and things is a lot of that has come from Marty. Right. Just as much as me. Why did you both go, this is the next thing we want to do, this is why we want to do Like, where did this idea of an agency come out? Well, it wasn't so much... I would say this is where it goes to business partnerships, knowing each other's roles, all the rest of it. I yeah. would say I was looking at... I was doing a little bit of marketing consulting stuff while Tailored Man was going on because people were like, tell us how this social media, like, what's it doing? <laughs> um, and it was pretty soon. We did a... It was probably one of the first campaigns where that sort of... That strategy or that social media strategy that was starting to get implemented, Maya hit us up to do their autumn winter campaign. Right. And it'll share on the Tailored Man, but we'll use it for all our assets. And this is going back three, four years ago. Right. So, it was probably big, three years ago. It was bigger than just, we want to do this with you. No. We want you to do an entire Correct. campaign. We want you to do the entire campaign. We want all the assets. We want, you know, video, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, I can do that because it's not just about me. I wasn't even featured in the campaign at all. It was um, other influencers in the spaces, Sam Wines, Roberto Melizia, and Sean Burley. Okay. Three mates. Yeah. I said, boys... Let's get you in this. I wasn't involved in it and produced it from the back end. Okay. Um, but how, how long ago was this, by the way? This would be probably three years ago now. So, what we, okay. one, two, yep, three years ago. Three years. Okay. So, three wi- three winters ago, really. Um, and that was the first time that I started to realize, along with like doing little bits and people and people picking my brain like, oh, how'd you build this social or how'd you do this or how should you go about this? And those little questions that started to sort of stick to me three years ago and I'm like, that's what I love is that deeper layer strategy, online, digital, how do we execute a campaign and nail every asset in this new media world? Uh-huh. Not buying ads and papers or anything like that. It's how can we execute the storytelling that the storytelling can get as maximised the reach as possible. And this is before insights were even on Instagram and you can see how many people it's reached and all the rest of it. How can we do ads but tell a story at the same time so it's very subtle? Mm. So, hey, what did we do? Maya came to us. I said, all right, let's create a boys weekend so we can all have fun. We'll go down to Montelto. They'll stay in the city. They'll have facials. We'll have lunch. We'll do this and we'll shoot the whole thing. And they're just wearing Maya clothes. It's a good idea. <laughs> but that's, hey, they can have a red wine. They can have a vino. They can have whatever. And you know what? You know what we'll weigh into this? We'll weigh in Mercedes-Benz because they're a great friend of mine and we can have some Mercedes-Benz content. We can have QT Melbourne. So, in that one partnership or that one campaign, there was six to seven partners. Uh, I'm seeing now what Laura was saying, saying to me before. Oh, this, what was she saying? She Here was saying go. this element of relationships. So, when I asked her a few questions about you, she said how important building relationships have been like she's saying that you would never text someone you typically call them up mm. if you can help it yep. most of the time which is it now makes a lot of sense it's, what you know it, it seems it's just it's like they're in a petri dish and it's all come together <laughs> it's it's a story it's a long story and I, hopefully i'm not boring everyone but yeah. it's it's relationships so many people undervalue relationships yeah um, which you would have learnt at football clubs because football clubs are like paramount of... And yeah. from everyone who's the volunteer helping with the training to filling up the water bottles, everyone deserves respect. 
And I think the biggest problem with society at the moment, people treat people like shit. They really fucking... And not the worst part is I see it probably even more than tenfold now with the girls having the profile that they do. Yeah. Tens of thousands of messages a day those girls get. Well, you guys must get it all and, the time. And I've had it in the past. They're in a totally different ballgame because yeah. these girls have let down their walls. They're on show. Like, their lives are on show. You know, I would say 80% of our lives is there to be seen because yeah. that's why it works because they're so relatable. Mm. Now, people always heckle them and be rude and write terrible things around, how can you talk because you're gorgeous or how can you... So, what, we're not allowed to voice because Yeah, I, I've always found that, that so strange. Like, at, we had this thing today. Actually, I responded to this comment on one of our videos because a few people post, a few of the comedians that we've had on a big round table posted it on their own profiles. And so, now our entire YouTube page, which we just launched, has mm. been flooded. Someone left a comment and was like, uh, only X amount of views. Like, geez, you really understand the net or something like that. It's like, mm. mate, you're sitting there doing nothing offering no value. Why comment? Throwing shit at someone else. I think you need to really take a look in the mirror. Like that That to me when I... Because Laura posted something recently about bloating during her period or something like yep. that. Yeah, yeah. And like, fuck, some of the comments on that, it's just like, why do you... Why do these people even care so much? Could you imagine them saying it to your face though? They'd never do it. Exactly. Ever. So, no one would ever say that to you. Oh, and if you got the balls to do it, be my guest. Yeah. Um, and and it's, it's it's one of those things and, and going back to, you know, the relationship elements and stuff like that is that, you know, whether it is, it's valuing, it's it's finding value and a value proposition from a partnership like that Maya campaign that seven people can interject and they're happy to be part of it. Mm. Showing that value that Laura is going to go out online and say, this is me, this is who I am, these are my walls down and I'm here to share my story. Or my relatable aspect. Yeah. They're, hopefully it can help. Hopefully it can help. But yeah. if it if it's not you, don't worry. No worries. Don't Go stress. into the next thing. When it's negativity and you know what happened recently over the weekend and it's 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 recent, it's 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 not so much, you know, and, and Laura's and I should not speak on her behalf because she can definitely do it herself, but it's it's not so much Laura was affected. She was just more like, Why? Yeah. Like, it, why that, do it? It's just such a natural... It's, well, it's a human thing to think that because you've got these people there throwing shit at you. But yeah. it is weird, isn't it? And like, you would never do it anywhere else. And it's uh, and I look at it as like... It, it, you know, tall poppy syndrome is a massive problem in society, you know. and well, I, Australia I, I, in And Australia particularly, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I look at it similar to earlier, like... I referenced my, what you could call, some people would say competitors, Damage, the five people in that space, I call them my peers yeah. and other publications. If I'm disrespectful, I call them competitors. It's not a competition. There's five of us in the space. There's enough to go around. That's mm. how I look at it. No, there's no like, oh, he got that job. Oh, shit. Yeah. Plenty of brands in the sea. Yeah, because you, through osmosis anyway, you respect what they're doing. A hundred percent. And yeah. there's that respect. I just think there's such a, and what online and digital has created is, well, hey, I can be a keyboard warrior, no dramas, and nothing's going to happen to me. And we've only seen a couple of times where things are blowing up, e Israel Folau or this. And, and like, you know, those people with public profiles have even more pressure because they're watching everything they're doing. Yeah, it, mu it must be really... It's weird. We're in a weird situation because so much of what you guys have done is built off the back of social media, but in a way, like, you open yourself up and then all of a sudden some schmuck is... Is having to, to pull go. you down, yeah. and 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 
those girls and I take my hat off to them, they have such hard shells. I've never copped the things that they cop. Yeah. You know, it's the tailor man is totally separate. You know, like people are not there. They don't know. It hasn't got a persona. It hasn't got a person. Yeah, I'm the founder, but people will either do that on my personal channel yeah, or they can, what are they going to say on the tailor man? You know, like yeah. go for it. Or we feature someone, e.g. a Tim Robards or whoever it might be or a Dylan Alcott. People will have their say on that. They'll either support it or they just won't like it. Um, and that's that's up to them. That doesn't phase me. It's not a direct attack at me. It's just the product or the content that we're producing. Mm. They're critiquing that. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. But when it's things like what happened recently over the weekend and just in general, really, you see it all the time, is is it really necessary to bring someone down when they're trying to do good? No. God, no. Like, it's so dumb. So, if they're not saying it, who's saying it? Yeah. And what is the power of online and social, and especially with Steph and Laura having such relevant... Um, positions in the health and wellness space mm. their only their intentions are only good well the frustration i had with that was it's people applying their morality on others like the, you can you can say when someone is doing particularly nasty let's say if i don't know laura put out saying crazy nasty i don't know what example i would use but i doubt it's going to happen right let's just say that they that I don't uh, think she's got a nasty bone in her body, but exactly. I've tried to find it. It's just not there. But, but that's my point is like it's it's very rare in the circumstances, but it's always like I see the comments and I see those things and it's always someone trying to apply their their moral framework of life on that other person, mm. which I've just, yeah. And, and It's it, one thing because we've had very deep conversations on the podcast with people about this and mm. it irritates the shit out of me. And, 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 and like I said, I, I don't want to harp on that aspect, but it's it's just, unless you can, like literally, if you're comfortable saying it to the person's face, go for it. Mm. If you're not, don't do it. Yeah. Don't hide behind a keyboard because it's never going to hurt anyone. You know, the amount of times that Laura might have got a, a message and someone's tagged someone in a photo or a friend and you send it to your friend or send the post to a friend like, oh my God, ha, have a look at this. They've done that and accidentally sent it to Laura and she's like, Hi, just so you know, I do read my messages and they're like, oh, no, no, I didn't mean that. So, hang on, you didn't mean that graphic comment and now you're saying you didn't mean it? Like, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> I can't imagine. Like, I'm human too. People people take away that human aspect from social media because there's yeah. no physical contact. I can't imagine what your phones are like. It must be like a nightmare at times. <laughs> it's... Um, <laughs> It's, 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 I, I am very grateful to be doing what I love and I love every minute, but there's not much downtime and running a business, running your own yeah. business. There's no such thing as downtime. You're always thinking. And renovating and- a house. <laughs> <laughs> That's a totally different ball game. And I wouldn't, su- I would not suggest it to anyone, but uh, it's, unless you've got the time to do it, but it's, 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 it's one of those things that running your own business is a really tough slog. There's mm. so many ups and downs and every day is a new journey. And also every day there's unknown. You don't know where it's going to come from or what the next job will be or what this will be, especially in an online and digital world. Mm. Um, and yeah, putting that phone down time, we really try to have a rule like after dinner, it's down. Yeah. This um, makes a lot more sense now. It's well, what does it make sense to? No, like you know, her her talk. She spoke about that. Like mm-hmm. we were chatting about it before. Like having you know the do- the front door is the door, and that's mm. where it ends as much as possible. And sometimes, yeah, exactly. And you can endeavour. I I would say we're not perfect, and we definitely don't do it every night because mm. some days we're just under the pump, and you just have to get it done. You just got to do it. And that's a conscious. We actually like to, if it is with each other, we're like, hey, I have to work till at least eight thirty tonight. And almost put it out there because you're like holding each other to it because or else 
there's so much stuff I could be doing. I could be on my laptop all night. You I'll, just keep going. We going, wake going. up at 6 a.m. We go to the gym. We normally do our workout. That's our routine. And a couple of hours before 9 o'clock before everyone, you know, is in the office technically. But we've done a couple of hours work or we're doing this or sorting things out for the day or whatever it might be. But when it comes home that night, we like to, you know, we could keep working all night. And some mm. nights we do. We just, we, we call it out and say, I have to work tonight. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'll try be present as much as possible. But it's by almost saying it out loud, we're both committing to each other. If that makes yeah. sense, it's it's a good way. No, you you you're imposing uh, some sort of responsibility to that, which makes you more and, likely and to responsibility do it. to each other because yeah. both running our own businesses, it's bloody tough. Mm. It's and and there's so many more people out there that are running their own businesses and running it with their partner or running it with you know people that you know you might not necessarily switch off. Everyone is different, but having that switch off time, it's the one downside of my job is that online and digital. What's it going to be on? Laptop, phone. <laughs> and, and mostly you can do it on your phone now. So, it's, it's, it's one of those things that it can follow you ev- everywhere. It's just whether you choose it to consume you. Mm. It's a very wise thought, I think. <laughs> well, it's it's, it's... it's saying that I battle with all the time. And I, I'm not even... I'm, I'm not know, perfect. Like I said before, yeah. we, we try. We yeah. do try. And some days we're just like, nah, we just chuck it away. Because it was really interesting that, you know, I learned this through my footy journey and I had... Um, my life balance when I was playing football, like I said earlier, I was very obsessive and this and that and juggling a lot of things and working outside and wanting to do this and you, whatever. Like it's one person said to me that the world will not end <laughs> if you don't reply to an email. Yeah. It got to the stage where I couldn't even sit at lunch without my phone and checking it for an hour. I used to scoff my lunch. 10 minutes and I don't normally eat a lot during the day as it is because I'm running around or whatever it might be and I just it's lunch was never a priority I blame my dad for that he only ever eats one meal a day really and I, I it's you know, we have a bit of a joke in the team that we don't eat on shoot days <laughs> which is some days we don't we have a coffee quick eat boom you're you know, lucky we're onto it you know yeah. what I mean but it's and not everyone does that of course and I totally understand that but it's 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 that understanding of taking that time out like I said, I could not sit there without an hour of my phone. I'd, I'd, out of habit, I'd scoff my food in 10 minutes and I'm like, oh, geez, I've got 50 minutes. What am I going to do? <laughs> oh, I'm going to read the paper. Okay. Oh, I'm done. Like, now what am I going to do? And that was, it was really shock, like reality shock for me at that time. Mm. Um, yeah, this is a problem that I've had to deal with. And, I realized I was addicted to that thing. And, and you know, and the the further part to that without getting too much into it, I, mid-football season, I got a really bad bout of vertigo. Okay. Which was uncontrollable. You must have had like a knock or something. They don't know. I've had even, I still suffer with it now. Really? Um, I've had, I had horrendous vertigo when I was 19. And, and you know what it was called? It was um, vestibular migraines was the, the root of it all. It's, it's, verti- it's a mo- headache that creates vertigo-like symptoms. Really? And I still have it now. Still have to monitor it because I know if I'm wearing myself thin, I start to get it back. So, I am very conscious of when I'm burning myself out because that, at that time when it happened, I couldn't walk for two weeks. Really? And this is when I, I saw a sports psychologist. Fuck. And that's when life started to sort of spin into reality. That was my last year at Box Hill Hawks. I then, at the end of that season, moved to Port Melbourne, did my knee in round two. Mm. So, when I went to Port Melbourne, I had a really new look on football, life, work-life balance, relationships in my life, family, downtime, not downtime. 
And I was arguably in the best shape of my life and I did my knee in round two. I, it, this reminds me of what I had in the last 18 months. I've Well, in the last six months in particular, I found out I had health anxiety. Mm. had no idea. I thought because I had these food intolerances mm. and it just sort of spun out of this over the last six years, these bad habits that you mm. get into and you're working so much and you've got all these things going on and then bang, all of a sudden you can't really eat properly. You're restricting yourself. Can't swallow. Yeah, and, I had that. And and it's, yeah. it's literally... I learned from this sports psych, like, and she does so many top tier professional athletes. It's incredible. And and now, obviously, this is going back three, four years ago, four years ago, that it's there's so much more emphasis on mental well being and mental health and all yeah. that sort of stuff. Which it wasn't really a thing. Or it was a thing, but it wasn't really a thing four years ago. I would say. Yeah. It was definitely relevant, and it was definitely a discussion point at AFL clubs, a hundred percent. But it really gave light to. There was nothing. Yes, there was something technically wrong from a medical sense, but a lot of it was manifested with the power of the brain and my actual thoughts. Yeah. And like like you said, like I can't swallow. I, I remember going out as I was recovering from the dizzy spells, I, I used to think I couldn't walk and it literally, me having positive thoughts and just walking, I would walk and all of a sudden I'd gain that confidence back. Really? Fuck. I was scared to go down the shops without falling over. Wow. Um, and that shook a lot of things up. And, and I would say that would be a turning point for a lot of things of how I run my business and my downtime and understanding. I don't suggest anyone to go burn themselves out. I, I did. It's not fun. And I, I would say it was a blessing it happened when I was young because it sort of gave me the understanding as things. And I'm the busiest I've ever been now. Mm. Um, but I can manage that. And yes, I have a medical condition, but it's, it's, I can manage it because I'm not killing myself. Now, yeah. I work. 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day, whenever I need to work, I work. Like I said, we put our phone down and all the rest of it, but I'm on all hours of the day. Mm. Now, but here I am on all hours of the day, but I've learned to when to back off and when to put the foot on. Yeah, and that's something that I've had to learn in the last four months and in it, particular. It's hard. It's, it's bloody tough. It's and really, I, I, really I, hard. I wouldn't wish anyone burning themselves out or having, you know, it might not be what I went through, but similar sort of things of lack of creative burn, you know, creative burnout, just hating their job you know mm. it happens you see it i've seen it in my family i've seen it with close friends like i like i said i'm extremely lucky to do what i love i do what i love doing mm. and i can call that my job and i earn an income from it and and, and like it's 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 amazing it's an amazing feeling to have because it doesn't feel like work yeah because but it's just mani- learning to to manage it but better. there's some weeks you, i get home and I'm, you feel like you can't breathe and i'm sure everyone goes through that moment you're like jesus like yeah got to go again like i got to get up again and, and to be honest like steph and laura like a lot of people have false pretenses oh no that everyone else is running it for them that fuck mate, no those girls work harder than anyone i've seen yeah well just anyone on, i've seen just on that what have you learned from those two and what they've done with kick like if you could if you could hone out like one principle or lesson there what is there something that really st- stands out? You know, what's, you know what's really funny? What? Um, when I go into meetings for the media agency and strategy, they always come up. And obviously, people know I'm linked to Laura, but I use them as a case study. I, I say like their combination of what they've achieved from social, online presence, their own personal brand, it doesn't happen anymore. It's not going to happen. Like you're not going to get that growth or that reach unless... You know, and this is not in the same vein as them. It's 
unless you're a TV reality star coming out of nowhere, you're a Kim Kardashian, second cousin, sister, brother, rah, 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 all of a sudden you, you're here. Their, their sheer work ethic and understanding of their brand and their morals is where arguably where they are now. Mm. But like I said to you earlier in the kitchen, best friends, working with friends full stop, working with partners that you're in a relationship <laughs> with is is really bloody tough. Yeah. But I when people think they've had it easy and all the rest of it... No, well, bullshit. You can't get to where they are now without, well, one, a really good understanding of marketing and influence, oh. and two, hard work. But like I said, they started in a similar time where Instagram was nothing. Steph was probably the first Instagram girl, right. or one of... Um, and I'm not to put it, that's, it's almost disrespectful chucking her in that bracket because she's not that. Yeah. Um, she's a businesswoman and so is Laura. But yeah. they, their journeys have also changed in the last four to five years and they've realized the responsibility that they're in and the influence that they have. Mm. And they treat that like what we're talking about earlier with what happened last weekend and the criticism and the negative. They, they wear that on their sleeve, but they take it and use it as a learning experience. Mm. Everything they do, they're meticulous as far as, We've ticked this box, we tick this box, we tick this box, but we can grow, we can do more. And they are, like, you know, they release a podcast, they're number one in the country. Yeah, I know, it's fucking ridiculous. Which I, <laughs> like, I sit there as someone, you know, running a media agency, marketing agency, pitching out strategies and all the rest of it, like, how can we do that? You can't. <laughs> like, yeah. just scrap it because that is a pure understanding of marketing. Yeah. And neither of them have marketing degrees. That's a pure understanding of their target audience. They're working their ass off to make it happen. The community. And understanding the community. Like yeah. people love to feel a part of something. And the best thing about Kick, it's inclusive of everyone. Mm. And they can anyone can be a part of that community. Guys for even, yes, it's it's targeted to girls. But I'll tell you what, I wouldn't be doing those jump squats. They <laughs> bloody hurt. Like but it's it's that sheer work ethic and the understanding of their both their roles in the business. They both bring different aspects to the business, but they're both working just as hard in those aspects. Mm. And how many people have been best friends and broken out of business? Heaps. You hear of all the horror stories and there's only a handful that still work. I, like I look it's at what- It's beyond rare. And, and like I said, me and Marty are very, you know, best friends. He's, you know, probably <laughs> best man at the wedding. You might know that now, but it's, 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 it's one of those things that not even our relationship, we've got a great understanding between personal and work and that's why it's worked so well. But those two are just- Yin and yang, like it's it's how it they works, work, it yeah. just blows me away. Like, and both a complete understanding for what Keep a Cleaner means, and it means the world to them. Mm. And, you know, Steph's got other side businesses and things like that. Keep a Cleaner is her main baby, and so oh, definitely it's Laura's main baby, but it's, it's that complete understanding of what their goal is. And it's like they're looking two years ahead already of where they're going to be, you know, because mm. the realistic aspect, it's not going to last forever, but the brand can last forever with the right strategy built from the get-go mm. you know I, I i turned around to the girls the other day and i was like looking at the podcast hit number one in the country like not just in health but number one in the country and then the top three episodes are top three in health yeah and and top two in the top 10 of episodes and i'm like <sighs> yeah that that's that's something and because it's really podcasts there's such a value in it and a, it, an amazing value in it. And I've seen it with the girls like Shameless who Laura and I have been massive advir- admirers of Michelle and Zara from the get-go mm. and, and and different tone of voice to what the girls are doing from a keep it cleaner point of view. But there's so much value now because people are consuming media in different ways. 
And that's that understanding. YouTube for them, yeah, they've had 50,000 views on a video. It's so time consuming to cut, edit, do videos, all the rest of it. It's a lot of effort. A lot of effort. It's easier for the girls to talk and interview someone about real life situations like we're doing right now and relate it back to their audience. Because mm. really, I, I worry, I've got a younger sister who's just turned 21 and that's not even really young, but that next generation, I worry about where they're going to fall into this. I even look at some of the things her and her friends are doing. I'm like, Jesus, it was cool to smoke when I was that age. Like not to, you know, not to do half the things that's going on, but that's society changes. And yeah. really the main goal for girls is to try help that next generation. You are, by the way, you, you've got a, how many sisters do you have? I have two. Okay. You, you and your, I can, I saw your sister. I was like, Jesus, that is your oh, sister. We're, we're pretty much identical. Well, we're not identical, but you can tell it's my sister. You can tell straight away. It's the yeah. same smile, I think. Oh, we've got the same forehead. Very gifted with a big forehead, <laughs> thanks to Dad. <laughs> um, I realise we're, we're getting over time. I don't want to... I know you're no. a busy boy. <laughs> no, but um, I, I want to just touch on one last thing, because this mm. was something I asked Laura, and I think we should talk about it. And she, mm. I, I asked her... I was keen to find out what is that she admires about you. And so what she said was your confidence in a way has indirectly made her confident. I don't know whether she's she's ever said that to you, but it, it's just allowed her to be more confident in that process. And she's also noticed that you've been very, I guess, selfless because no doubt with the, the whole kick thing, their, mm. their schedule is just insane. So I'm curious then... You know, she said that about you. What do you respect the most from her? It's 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 an interesting one, and like it probably. Oh, I think I've based off what I last said about both <laughs> the girls. Like, there's an incredible, enormous res- amount of respect I have for both girls. But obviously, Laura being my fiance and and the the girl, the woman I want to spend the rest of my life with. When we first met. What three and a half years ago or whatever it is, it's at a Christmas party or something. At a right? Christmas party, a modelling Christmas party. Which even that word, you say that to the girls now, they're not models. They're just yeah. that's who they are, and they, you know, a lot of things they don't like about that industry. But we met at a modelling Christmas party, having a dance. I was with a few good friends, and we met. Basic court. Next morning, we're at an event together for Mazda. Right. And she's she was hungover at the time, which Laura does not drink much at all. And it was hilarious. And she's just like, her first impressions of me, she's like, oh, this guy's so confident. Oh, he's annoying. Rah, rah, rah. Yeah, she said she, you're wearing white pants. What? Oh, I can't <laughs> believe she went to that detail. What a stitch up. She um, said, I actually didn't like Dalton very much at all when I first met him <laughs> as he was wearing white pants and thought he was a bit arrogant. Uh, well, That's rough. No, well, it's... And... and, and like I said, I am very confident in my ability, but I'm never going to push something that I'm not confident in. And mm. I'm a massive believer in not preaching about stuff you don't know. And hence, I'm so lucky to have an incredible team around me that are all experts in different areas. Mm. Um, I'm not an expert in everything. No one can be. But my team that I have, including Marty and the rest of the guys and girls, is they're amazing at what they do. And, and it's that strive for perfection. But going back to your question with Laura, it's... She was. She had a lot of self doubt when I first met her, and which might baffle you saying it now. And like people look at what she's built. She had a lot of. She's had. She's documented her journeys with modelling and body issues and health disorders and uh, eating disorders, things like that. She's documented that. She's been very open with that, and and so has Steph in their own ways. Um, But Laura, you know, I guess 
at the time I was doing something I love, all the rest of it, and Keep It Cleaner was just an e-book at that stage. Mm, just a, it was. And it was it was doing very well. And they're like, oh, cool. Like, we're just making some recipes. Like, this is great. And I'm like, just keep pushing and keep pushing. And I guess, you know, we were friends for a good six months before we even started dating. Yeah. Um, and we definitely didn't hang out on weekends or anything like that. You know, at the time, she was in a relationship. Um, and, and it was one of those things. It's six, eight months went by and I was like, you know, she'd got out of the relationship. I was like, we always had, we always just saw eye to eye. But it was really... One of those things, she's such a, as people see now, she's such an infectious personality. That personality hasn't changed. She's bubbly, energetic, always happy, always smiling. People always say, why is she always happy? <laughs> it's just her. She's not always happy. But yeah. It's- well, yeah, she's the type that like, you know, you can see she sort of smiles with her eyes. Like there's a, there's a f- certain amount yeah. of people oh, that have that. It's, yeah, awful. <laughs> <laughs> but like but it's, 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 it's one of those things that like, you know, that constant beaming, the the smile. And and that's, you know, that's why little negative comments here and there, you know, sometimes it's just like, why? Like, I'm only yeah. trying to help or do. She she is so selfless. Um, but, you know, as far as where Keep It Clean has gotten to now and sort of finishing that question, and what I admire is like she works her ass off. Mm. She's still doing a law degree. I know. That's- like, which is like <laughs> she's going to be a lawyer once she nails this. But like she only has the time to do one subject a semester. And, yeah. she, you know, it's she laughs because she now has to go back and do a first year subject. And she's like, oh, my God, I'm going to be with like 18 year olds. And here I, I'm that mature age student. <laughs> but she just wants to get it done because she's that type of person. She's sitting there doing it the other night, an essay and all the rest of it. And, and you know, the craziest part about it is like going back when she started that, she got an enter score that actually exceeded what she thought she was going to get and then was like, oh, I may as well do law now. She didn't have that predetermined, I'm going to be a lawyer. Right. She wanted to be do dietetics, nutrition, you know, things like that. And she's like, oh, I may as well dabble. She dabbled. And now, if anything, her business experience and acumen has helped her with her law degree and made it, almost broke it down because she's done contracts now. She's done this. She's almost learnt the, the basis of law from her own experience, which yeah. not everyone has that opportunity. Well, it's a good way to cut your teeth. A great way to get, oh, it's a great way to cut your teeth. And, and it's, it's one of those things that, you know, like I said, she used to doubt herself and I would not sit there and say, she has done more for me than she has done for, you know, like vice versa. Like I, I was, she is a lot more considerate of others. I am not. Mm-hmm. That's just been a, that's a brutal assessment on it. And, mm-hmm. and that's, and that's, she has taught me to consider every angle and look at every p- person, each side of the ledger. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's a partnership, a person, a relationship. And there's been times where relationships, I've, I've, I've mucked up relationships and that's why I put the emphasis on relationships are so important. It's not that I deliberately tried to muck it up, but like I said, it's, it's, it's one of those things that people interpret things different to other people. Mm. And how you see things is not necessarily how someone else is going to see it. You know, she's given me a lot of more... She, you know, she says I've been selfless in, you know, that kick journey and that growth and, you know, yep, I might have renovated the house and had to juggle this and all the rest of it. But when do you get to do what Laura does and change people's lives every day? I don't mm. do that. I'm a, I'm a shark. I'm an advertiser. You know what I mean? Like, I, it's, <laughs> it's so I don't, not say that is, but like, that's, let's just, let's just cut the bullshit. Like, that's yeah. what it is. Like, she and Steph and her and Keep It Cleaner change lives every day. I don't do that every day. I tell I love what I do and I love the end product and I love the grind to get there and the strategy and every aspect which can be two, six, twelve months, twenty-four months long as far as building to an end goal. 
with a brand, company, anything. And I love that. But these girls are doing that and changing people's lives at the same time. And mm. it took me that realization and that, that sort of, that moment is like, what you're doing is a once in a lifetime thing. This does not happen every day. And, mm. you know, like she still finds time to have balance in her life, which her schedule is out of control. You know, the last two months she's been on, you know, 20 different flights, six different locations. She, one of, she got uh, back from LA, rocked up on New Zealand on the Monday, came to Sydney on the Tuesday. Jesus. Yeah, and that was a two-week period in Sydney for the whole week, LA the whole week before working. And it's, you know, in the in that time, the business is running, there's staff in the office, there's this happening, there's that happening, there's, there's so many things going on. Yeah. And that's both Steph and Laura. They travel so much. And I hate planes. Like, I'm not scared of planes. I just hate getting on because they're disease ships. But no, it's... it's, it's um, yeah, that's the a Jennifer Jennifer comes, comes out. <laughs> but yeah, it's... it's, it's their, their workload is incredible. And, and it has to give and take like any relationship. You have to... I understand what they're doing is so unique. And mm. I'm so proud to be involved and to be able to support Laura and Steph for that matter in that growth. And Josh is... The, I can speak for Josh. He's the exact same. Is that something has to give and take. And I'm very lucky. I've got a great team that it's allowed me probably when we were doing our renovation that to step back a bit and hand the reins over to Marty and say, I just need you to deal with this while I sort this out because hmm. I've got complete confidence in my team to do the job with or without me. Hmm. Um, they know the level and the perfectionism of what it's going to be because they're all the same people. It's a good, it's a good place to be. It's, it's an amazing place to be, but it's every day is, every day has its challenges like everyone has and it's just you wake up the next day and go to the next. Now, I want to jump into these uh, quick Short Fast questions. fire ones, yeah. Fast fire ones. Uh, what does your morning routine look like? I think you mentioned it before. <laughs> Laura nagging me to come to the gym with her, me giving in, espresso, go to work. Okay. No breakfast in the morning? No, I don't know. I don't normally eat breakfast. I have a coffee. I um I I would like to say that I fast till about midday and this is just something that's worked for me and it worked with me in football. I, I'd largely have a paleo based diet. Mm. Um sorry, the Laura's sister is a strong vegan. She hates me for that thing. But I've got a sister who's a strong but uh, it's, vegetarian. It's, it's, and you know, I've learned things since then. But it's, you know, I, I don't, like I said, I blame my dad. He, he only ate one meal a day. And I sort of got into that habit when I was working with him. Um, I don't emphasize brekkie in the morning and all the rest of it. And even when I was playing football, I was very the same. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, people would be like, eat your breakfast, have this, protein, blah, 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 blah. But... Even then, I played probably my best football when I was doing this diet. Yeah, I I, I prefer to do that as well. I don't, I cannot eat first thing in the morning. I never have I, been I don't able wake, to. I don't wake up hungry. You know, some no, people I say I always do. wake up hungry. I'm like, no, nah, I've got a coffee. I'm good till about midday. Yeah, and then I might have something little. Uh, evening routine. What do you do to decompress? Um, well, now with the the addition to the little fam of uh, Billy, our little golden retriever, well, not little golden retriever, he's quite a monster now, but um. It, he, I'll normally get home um, f- six o'clock, seven o'clock, whatever. It depends. Some days different. I'll walk him straight away. Um, if Laura's home, great. We'll both walk him. Very lucky that we live close to the beach, so it's a really nice place to switch off. Um, and been a massive lifestyle change for us, as opposed to living in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and we made that conscious decision on when moving down there. But um, it's, I walk him. Um, I'll normally say to Laura, well, what do you want for dinner? Have we got anything in the fridge? <laughs> and then we'll make probably something, keep it cleaner. And we, we, me and Laura are creatures of habit. We 
do a lot of keep it cleaner meals, but she's taught me a lot about eating and what's good and what's not. I never used to, and even, you know, back at the footy clubs, <laughs> I never used to care. Like, <laughs> it's like, well, that's a different story. She likes to stitch me up and make out. I'm just like, oh, yeah, okay, she said it's healthy. I'll eat it. No, I know what's not healthy. <laughs> but she's taught me a lot more about that space. So, understanding good foods and bad foods. And that's made a massive difference to my energy levels, health, all, all the things. I've never been unhealthy, I would say. It's just it's just knowing different things and what's got this in it, what's vegetable oil, what's olive oil, what's good olive oil, what's bad. Like, mm. it's not to be anal about every aspect of life and a lot of what Laura preaches is balance. Um, but yeah, normally it finishes off dinner, they put the phones down and then we'll chat. Normally we'll just, we don't watch much TV at all. Okay. Um, Game of Thrones fans? No, I've never been able to get Fuck. into it and that's going to break us. <laughs> We should probably just stop the interview now. <laughs> but it's it's I've never I'm a massive suits fan, like I said earlier, but like I'm actually rewatching it at the moment. Just but we're very um you know, we talk, we decompress from the day, like sum up the day essentially and, and, and literally just we just talk. Like it's 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 interesting, but we're in bed by nine o'clock too. So there's not a lot of talking by the time you have dinner at seven thirty. Okay. We try yes. to get in bed by nine o'clock. Um yeah. so that we can get up at six and be ready to go, you know. Yeah. It's not always the case. I'd say it's more realistic to 10, but we try to get in bed as early as possible. How, how many hours sleep a night do you reckon you get? Oh, see, I'm a terrible sleeper. Like, I wake up three, four times a night, so wow. um, which sucks. Um, but it's if I go to bed at nine, at least I know I'm getting six hours or something, where okay. Laura sleeps like a log. Wow. So, she'll get a full nine hours. Wow. But um, Okay. Not a full nine hours, but yeah, she'll try to get eight hours and that's why we try to go to bed early. But yeah, I normally wake up a fair bit and unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, it's pretty hard to say no to Bill, but um, he has managed to find his way in the middle of our bed sleeping all night, Uh-oh. which I cracked it this habit. morning because I'm the only one who wakes up to move him and get him off the bed so I can actually have some space. But Laura's out like a light. <laughs> um, if you had to gift a book to the audience, just one book for Christmas... What would it be? Oh, it's probably the one I've read recently is uh, the Williams F1, Williams team, uh, which the doco is out on Netflix at the moment. I would say read the book before watching the doco. Okay. um, Because there's a lot of things that get put out on the doco that don't actually, like, they happen, but they scoot around a lot of in-between sort of stuff. Really incredible. I'd say it's one of the more incredible stories I've seen of a working relationship with someone being in the spotlight and someone playing the support role. Mm. Um, Ginny Williams, who's now passed. Um, Frank Williams, who's still alive now. And his daughter, Claire, is in control of the F1 team. Um, that that story of, you know, fit, healthy, young, hungry, all of a sudden a quadriplegic, um, su- survived a, a terrible car crash and life getting flipped on its head. Um, it, so- it sounds like, I mean... For those who don't know, the F1 Williams team is one of the only really still standing. Unfortunately, they're not teams. doing great now, but one of the last standing... Solo-owned uh, team. Yeah, solo-owned team that isn't a manufacturer. Mm. And um, and their daughter, Claire, is their eldest daughter, Claire, or second eldest daughter. I think she's eldest. I think she's I the think eldest. I think she's the eldest, and yeah. Jamie's the younger. But... um. She's now the team principal and, you know, heading up. Yep, they're not having a lot of success at the moment, but, you know, their budget is very limited compared to other people. So, yeah, yeah, just an incredible story from start to finish. And obviously, you know, Ginny Williams has now passed, but it was really interesting insight into a really, I would say it was probably what a modern take of a modern relationship is these days. 
Mm. Um, even though those days it would be frowned upon. Yeah, definitely would have. Um, just with, you know, bits and pieces of, you know, things now that won't stand definitely with infidelity and all the rest of it. But obviously, everyone's different. Every relationship is different. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it's that pure devotion to each other and understanding of each other um, that I think is what made it so compelling to read. Yeah. And sad as well. It's not It's not a happy read. Like, it's it's, it's a sad one. It's a bit of a tearjerker. Oh, I'm going to have to get it now. It's yeah, worth it. Um, last question for you. Best purchase under $200. Oh, this is a tough one. Oh. Something from Bunnings last week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going there. But um, oh, actually, a kettle barbecue from Bunnings. I love open fire cooking. Big fan. And okay. that's only 60 bucks. But you this is like a charcoal barbecue. Charcoal barbecue. Yeah. Just your basic kettle barbecue. 60 bucks. Can't go wrong. But if it was that, it's my $59 Uniqlo black jeans. Okay. I like that. Good old Uniqlo. <laughs> However you say it. Um, Dalton. It's been a pleasure having you and we've clocked an hour 30. Thank you, Jordan. Um, where can people find you? you can. What you're up to? <laughs> well, you could probably find either Billy, myself or Laura on Instagram and all the rest of it. I think it's an easy one to find now. But um, yeah, the tailored man's still running along. So, you can definitely jump along and check out that. But yeah, um, yeah from what I'm up to day to day, that would just be me personally. And is that, it's at Dalton Graham, yeah? At Dalton Graham. At Dalton Graham. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for coming on, mate. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Thank you for making it to the end. Before you run off, subscribe if you enjoyed this episode or do leave us a rating. For Instagram, go follow us on at uncommon underscore podcast. For YouTube, search uncommon podcast and don't forget to subscribe if you're watching this video. Also, give us a like or leave a comment on what you thought about the episode. But until next time, thanks so much for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Neural Media. Are you an entrepreneur or marketer who needs help making podcasts, video, or animation? Perhaps you don't have time to manage a freelancer or the budget to deal with an agency. Well, Neural Media can help you with simple and affordable content creation, saving you time and money by taking away the pain of producing that content. To learn more, head to neural.com slash media. That's N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E.com slash media, play around with our pricing or request a callback directly. Listeners to the show receive a special discount by using the promo code UNCOMMON.